How are you all today? Wonderful. That good, huh? <laughs> well, my name is Dave Shive, and I'm one of the pastors here at TBA, and um, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Now, how many of you are happy that college football is finally here, that it's finally started? Yeah. Yep. All right. How many Gator fans do we have? How many Seminole fans do we have? How many Alabama fans do we have? Boo. Boo. No. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to figure out who's the best team, Gators or Seminoles. And the way that we're going to do that is I'm going to mention the team name, and you're going to cheer for your team. And whoever is the loudest wins. Now, last service, the Gators overwhelmingly one okay so if you're a Seminole fan don't let your team down all right so we'll start with the Gators this time so when I say Gators you cheer for your team are you ready Gators wow that's pretty loud all right Seminoles oh man that was close I still think the Gators had the edge though I still think the Gators won so I love college football, I do, and not because of my favorite team, because as a Kentucky fan, (laughs) we didn't even beat Western Kentucky, but um, as as a Kentucky fan, college football is just a really good distraction until basketball season happens, but um, I love college football, the reason I love it is because of the passion and the commitment and the unity of college football fans. See, fans rally around their team with a passion unlike any other sport. And college football is king in this. Yes, there are plenty of vocal, diehard enthusiasts in the NFL, but other than that exception, it's hard to match the crazed demeanor of the college football fan. It's amazing to see these fans, they come together and and they come from different backgrounds. And they come together to cheer their team on to, vac- to victory. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're old or young, married or single, rich or poor, pretty or ugly. As long as you have the same colors on, you're accepted into the family without exception. And it's not like they're playing for anything other than pride or bowl eligibility. But despite what's on the line or even what's not on the line, for many true college football zealots, every single game is a matter of life and death. And this level of obsession, it translates very favorably in the stands for the home team. See, the home team fans have considerable influence on the outcome of the game. In the last 10 years in the BCS, the home team has won 67% of the time. 67%. And most of the players and coaches, they all agree that the home field advantage is attributed to the passion and the commitment of the fans and their ability to cheer their team on to greatness. Now, believe it or not, God has called, called us as followers of Christ to that same oneness and unity, to have that same passion and obsession of cheering each other on as we journey through life. See, we're continuing in our series, Sticky Church, and the whole idea around Sticky Church is that we kind of stick together as a body, as, as believers in Christ. We stick together through the ups and downs of life. And two weeks ago, Ed kicked us off and he talked about what true authentic community looks like. 
and how Christ has given us a new commandment, a new commandment to love each other the way that Christ loved us. And that the Bible is full of all these one another commands that help us live out that commandment to love each other. And that we encourage each other and we carry each other's burdens. And then last week, Brian talked about carrying burdens a little bit more and how the trials and the storms that God has brought us through in life and has comforted us in is the same. We, we need to use that to help other people who are struggling through similar, similar trials that, that we've been through. But in order for us to do that, that means we have to go beyond just the surface. We actually have to get into each other's lives. And oftentimes getting into somebody else's life can be really kind of messy. But we have to develop those deep spiritual relationships and allow other people to speak into our life as we speak into other people's lives. And so today we're going to take that step, we're going to take that concept and go a step further. And we're going to look deeper into this idea of speaking into each other's lives, mainly the influence that we have on each other. Now, before we get too far, <coughs> excuse me, let's, let me define influence for you because I think sometimes the, the word influence um, gets defined by the world. See, we think influential people are people that have money, power, and fame. Those that have that commanding presence or they're very eloquent in speaking. Those who are highly gifted and have a lot of skills and, and a lot of different talents. And while those people are people that do have influence, the truth is all of us have the ability to be influential, regardless of our money, our fame, or our talent. Now, the dictionary defines influence as the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something. Now, notice it doesn't say anything about a requirement of money, fame, or talent. See, the world would say that if you don't have those things, if you don't have money, fame, or talent, that you are of no consequence. But see, God sees things a little bit differently. See, God has given all of us the ability to influence others around us. And we may not think that we can. We may think that we're not gifted enough or that we don't have anything to offer, but that's just not true. All throughout the Bible, see, God uses those that the world deems insignificant. God uses those people to do the most impactful things. All of us have the potential to influence others, which means all of us have a responsibility to use that potential of influence for the good of others. Now, good being the key word here, because your actions and even your inactions either have a positive or negative influence on those around you. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. Not too long ago, Brian and Sherry Legg were taking their girls to the rodeo. And they asked if Alex, my son, wanted to go along with them. <clears throat> now, Mike and Jill Giddens, they were going as well. And since Cameron, who was Mike and Jill's son, and Alex were good buddies, we thought that Alex would have a great time going to the rodeo. What we didn't realize is just how great of a time he would have. So off he goes with the legs to the rodeo. Now, about 1130 at night, Ashley and I are sitting on the couch, and we're so tired, we're ready to go to bed but we're waiting for Alex to get home. And about that time, Brian texts us and tells us he's pulling up to the house. So we open the front door, and Brian lets Alex out of the van and doesn't come to the front door with Alex. And I thought that was odd at the time. 
And Brian just kind of waves from the street with this little smirky smile on his face. And I didn't think anything about it at the time. Well, then Alex comes running into the house. And literally, he runs three circles around the inside of the house, jumping over furniture, climbing over everything. And he climbs to the back of the couch and stands on the back of the couch and screams at the top of his lungs, I had Mountain Dew! (laughs) Now, for those of you that know Alex, it doesn't take much to get him jacked up. So we try to limit his sugar and his caffeine intake. And to come to find out, Alex was allowed to have a cotton candy, a jumbo Mountain Dew, and a bag of M&M's. So all of us have the potential to influence others. Some of us use wise judgment and don't give a child Mountain Dew at 10 o'clock at night. Others of us are not so wise and will be paid back as soon as their kids are left with us. So, either way, either way, we should be using our influence for the good of others. As a matter of fact, we are commanded by God to do so. So if you have a Bible, or if you're really tech savvy and you have your iPad with a Bible app, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 10, because that's where we're going to kind of be at today. And if you don't have either one of those, we'll put it up on the screen for you. It says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In the NIV, it says it this way. It's translated like this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good works, good deeds. Now, I think the NIV is a better translation because when I think of the word spur... I think of a cowboy and cowboy spurs. You know those little round wheels that have spikes on them that they kick the horse in the flank to get the horse to move? See, I believe that is the intent that the writer of Hebrews had as well. Because when you look at the Greek word in the text for motivator spur, the word is, the word is paroxysmos. And it means an intense argument or to provoke or to provoke to anger. Now, if you think that term provoke sounds negative, you've got the right picture here. See, paroxysmos was almost always used negatively. And it typically meant to provoke someone to do something bad. It's the same word used in Acts 15 where it describes that sharp argument between Paul and Barnabas. And Paul uses it in Ephesians 6 when he says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. It's a very strong word. Even though it's used positively in this text, It has to do with strongly provoking other believers to some action. Now, that doesn't mean we're to provoke each other to the point of anger. Not at all. See, God wants two results here. He wants love and he wants good works. And everything that we do should be done out of a love for each other. A Christ-like love that is committed to sacrificing for one another. See, I see it like this. I think God wants us to have such an intense, deep love for each other that we take it upon ourselves to help each other live more and more like Christ every day. And it's saying that because I have this immense, deep love for you, I refuse. I refuse to allow you to be the same. See, I think God wants us to help people 
get off of square one and start serving Him with their whole hearts. Helping them to be involved and engaged in doing what God put them on this earth to do. Helping them find their purpose. Getting them engaged in the battle and off the sidelines. It's to press people out of passivity and into eternally investing themselves. See, this isn't a passive thing either. The writer says, consider it. Think about it. Give it some weight. If you're a believer, you need to be concerned not with just yourself, but with each other as well. The writer is saying we should give it deliberate thought and then take a course of action. This is what authentic spiritual community looks like. Mentoring those that aren't as far on the journey as we are and allowing those who have traveled farther to speak into our lives. See, it's investing in the lives of those around you. But there are two problems that come with this. The first is no matter how much others attempt to invest in our lives, most of the time we're unwilling to allow them to influence us. You know, as I was studying for this, I read an illustration that talks about two ways that we interact with each other. One way is that we're, we're like a bag of marbles. So you throw a bunch of marbles into a bag, and they bang around each other, and they bounce off of each other. But when you take them out again, each marble remains intact, distinct, and individual. And when we operate like marbles, we may come together on occasion, but when we leave and we all go our separate ways, we're still exactly the same. There is no change. The other way is that we're all like grapes. You put a bag of grape, you put grapes into a bag, and you apply a little bit of pressure, and the grapes start to break open, and their flavors get mixed together, and they influence and are influenced by the other grapes around them, and they eventually become this one mixture, this, this juice. And what's for certain is that they're never the same as when they started. See, the marble mentality grows from individualism. Individualism is totally opposite of the way God created us as human beings. I mean, Rick Warren is right when he says, we were formed, we were formed for family. See, both God's design and God's plan indicate that we flourish spiritually and emotionally only in the context of authentic community. See, this verse is a reminder that getting involved with the spiritual progress of other believers is for all of us. Being a Christian is, is both very personal, but it's also very public. See, we don't live for ourselves as believers. It doesn't matter that our culture encourages us to be marbles, to look out for number one. We're called to live countercultural. We're no longer individualists. The New Testament urges us to be devoted to one another. Philippians tells us that we should consider others and their needs above our own. I mean, Scripture's intent is that we outwardly express the truth that we are members of the same body. But we can't have influence or be influenced if we don't see ourselves as one unified body. Yet, that's what God's called us to be. Just like those crazy football fans, we're to be united as one with a unified purpose 
of loving each other and spreading the good news of Jesus to the world around us. And that brings up the second problem of trying to invest in others. And that's we can't be one body spurring each other on to good works and love if we don't make ourselves available. Look at verse 25. And it says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now this verse, it often gets used in a very legalistic way, saying that if you don't show up for church every Sunday, that you're not being a good Christian. I don't think that's what the author's saying here. Because I don't think church attendance has anything to do with your spirituality. I think what the author is trying to say is that it's only in the community of authentic believers that you will be challenged to grow in your faith. Challenged to do good works and encouraged to walk with Christ. See, if you stay distant, if you're distant either physically or by your attitude, you won't be available for God to use you in other believers' lives. And you won't benefit from God using them in your life. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, but our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. See, you can't isolate yourself from the body for two reasons. One, you need the body. You need the body of Christ. See, if you cut yourself off from the body, you are going to die. A hand can't live if it's severed from the body. It needs the rest of the body to live. Likewise, you will die spiritually if you cut yourself off from the body of Christ. The second reason is that the body needs you. It needs you. Each part of the body is essential to every other part. Paul is saying, God has you here for a reason. It isn't by coincidence. It isn't by chance. You are meant to be here in this TBA body. God has put each part just where he wants it. You're here because God wanted you here, and he wants you to function in the body of Christ by using the talents and the abilities that he has given you. You didn't get those talents and abilities by chance. God gave them to you so that you, as a part of this body, would help sustain every other part of this body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. You see, the body needs every part, and every part is important. There's no one part more important than the other. Paul says, in fact, that parts that we think are least important, and if you think you're the least, Paul says you're the most important part. So when you stay on the sidelines and you don't get involved, you are unavailable to the rest of the body. And because you aren't functioning as the part God intended you to be, then the whole body suffers because of it. See, the problem is a lot of us, we think that staying on the fringes is okay, but it's not a big deal. That it's okay just to come on Sunday and not get involved and not get connected. 
I'm going to tell you, I think that's a dangerous way to live. It is. Because there's going to come a time in your life when what life has to throw at you is going to be beyond your ability to handle. Listen to me, I know from experience. It isn't a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And Brian talked about this last week. He said, you've got to develop those deep spiritual relationships now. Because when tragedy hits, if you haven't developed those relationships, you're not going to have the support around you when you need it the most. Yes, you can come on Sundays, and you can gain some casual friendships, but all of these things that we've been talking about in the past few weeks, about how we've been commanded to love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, motivate one another to acts of love and good works, all of these things... We can't just do these things in an hour or an hour and a half service. And some of these things can't be done unless the relationship that I have with you goes beyond the few minutes that we spend together here. So that's why we plead with you. We plead with you to get into a small group. Get into a group. Don't wait. Do it today. Because in a small group, you're going to have a small group of people who will accept you as you are, who will love you as your own family, who will care for you, pray for you, look out for you, and help you grow into the person God designed you to be. Now, don't get me wrong. Sunday is great. I love Sundays. It's an opportunity for us to come together and worship God together, to use our many talents in service to Him and in others, to get a bigger picture of what God wants to do with this body and to accomplish things far greater than we could ever accomplish individually or even as a small group. But again, the problem with Sundays is that you can come for months. You can come for years and never have your life change. You'll still be a marble. A year from now, you will struggle with the same problems in your marriage that you struggle with now. A year from now, you'll still be struggling with the same sins and temptations that you struggle with now. A year from now, you'll still be carrying the same heavy burdens that weigh you down now. So you can fool yourself and think that you have the power to make changes by yourself, that you can weather life's storms alone, that you have it all under control. But again... I think that's a very, very dangerous way to live. And my experience tells me that you're going to suffer deeply for it if you continue to live that way. But more than the danger it presents to yourself, it's dangerous to others around you when you are uninvolved. And that's because we need you. This TBA body needs you. I need you. I'm only here today because somebody cared enough to share God's love with me. I mean, he wasn't anybody special. He wasn't highly educated. He didn't have a lot of skills and talents. He wasn't in a position of power. As a matter of fact, he was just an hourly guy that worked for me. But he was a guy who loved to fish, and he invited me to go fishing with him. And we went fishing a lot. And those times that we went fishing, he would just talk about God in his life and just share with me about how much God loved him 
And because of that investment, my life started on a journey that eventually led me into full-time ministry. My path could have been completely different if he hadn't have done that. Who knows where I would be? I'm just glad that he was willing to be obedient to what God was calling him to be. Now beyond myself, let me tell you why else I think we desperately need each other. I shared with you a couple of months ago a statistic that really hits close to home to me. And it should hit close to home to you as well. And it was that 50%, 50% of the kids who grow up in church will walk away from their faith and never come back. I don't know about you, but that scares me to death. And as a church family, we sh- that should be a statistic that is completely unacceptable to us. We should not sit back and allow half of our kids to walk away from God. But that's exactly what we're doing if we remain unwilling to get involved in each other's lives. This is what I know as a parent. The older I get, the less my son listens to me. And it isn't that he ignores me. It's not that. It's just the way it often is with parents and kids. I mean, did you listen to your parents when you were a kid? Neither did I. And I know I kind of made fun of Mike and Brian about giving Alex Mountain Dew, but the point is, these are people that I trust to be involved in my son's life. People that I know are going to guide him when it really counts. These are people that are going to say the same things that I've been saying to him for years. But for some magical reason, he's going to listen to them because they're not his parents. Let me give you another example. Alex loves reptiles, snakes in particular. He's always loved them ever since he was a little kid. And because of his love of reptiles, he's always watching snake shows on TV. Now, in those shows, they always dramatize the show to make it more exciting. So you have these idiots that run around and catch venomous snakes by hand, right? Now, Alex watches these shows, and he goes, oh, I can do that. I can catch a venomous snake by hand. Now, I tell him, there is no reason you should ever pick up a venomous snake. That they're only dramatizing the show. But he doesn't listen to me. Oh, he hears me. He hears the words that are coming out of my mouth. It's just that it doesn't carry any weight with him. So I had him talk to Glenn Farrell. Now, in case you don't know, Glenn is a snake expert. He used to breed snakes, and he's one of the few people in Polk County that actually have a license to, to have venomous snakes. And he's the guy that they call out when a rattlesnake needs to be removed. Now, since Glenn is a snake expert, Alex, he really looks up to him. And so I had Alex ask Glenn about how he captures venomous snakes. And Glenn tells him he has never touched a venomous snake, that there's never any reason to touch one because you can use snake tongs to pick them up. And only stupid people catch snakes by hand. Well, that's all it took. I mean, it was like God himself was speaking to Alex. And I haven't heard another word from Alex about wanting to catch venomous snakes by hand. See, it didn't matter how many times I said it to him, Alex wasn't going to get the information from his head to his heart. And while the snakes thing is just a little thing, other things aren't. Like his faith in God. 
like his salvation. See, I need you to invest in my son. We all need each other to invest in our, other, in our children. Even if you don't have kids, or if your kids are grown, you cannot imagine the impact that you can have by simply taking the time to share God's love with a child. See, we as a family, listen to me, TBA, we cannot let that statistic become a reality. We can't. Let me close with this as the band comes up to play. Are you a marble or are you a grape? Does your life impact and influence other people in God's direction? Are you allowing others to influence you? See, each one of us has a part to play. We all do. And my prayer is that you will do what the Hebrew writer says and that you will thoughtfully consider how you can use your gifts, your talents, and your resources that God has graciously given you and leverage those things by encouraging each other in love and spurring each other to greater acts of love and good works. My prayer is that you will sign up for a small group. Do that today. Do not wait. That you will begin to develop those deep spiritual relationships with others. And my prayer is that you will see your life not as your own, but as a part of a greater body that works together for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have created us to live in community, God, that that is where your design is for us to grow. God, that is where your design is for us to receive care, accountability, love. God, you show yourselves through your people. When we talk about arms and hands and feet of Jesus, that's the body. That's what we're designed to do. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to allow others to influence us. God, that you would put upon our hearts a commitment to influence others. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.